Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. You know, when you're on vacation, you kind of get relaxed and you, you feel like the, the tension sort of resolves after about 10 days or two weeks. And I've, I've recently experienced that feeling. And we're going to be talking a lot about fear in this series. But a very sort of mild form of fear is just tension. And if I had to venture a guess, I would say almost everyone in this room is probably experiencing tension, that mild form of fear, in some form or fashion. And, and here's the problem when there is a sort of constant level of tension in our lives, and then, and then you add on top of it the spikes that really frightening things that, uh, that cause fear on top of the tension we're already experiencing, that we can begin to start to feel like we're overwhelmed and it's, it's too much. And what happens when that happens is that instead of feeling safe and making decisions out of the safety that we perceive, we begin to make life decisions out of the fear, and fear begins to drive our lives. If, for instance, you're worried about your job right now, No one's threatened to fire you yet, but there's a low level of just tension and stress there. Anything anyone says or does that you can interpret that might lead to, yep, I'm getting fired. I know I'm getting fired. That's going to spike it, and you're going to start to do Things You're going to start to make decisions that are based in this fear, I'm about to be fired. And that runs through every area of life. If you feel like your relationship with your spouse is not going great, if you feel like your relationship with your children is not going great, if you feel like your relationship with your neighbors is not going great, that that level of fear, that emotion begins to drive how you live your life. It begins to run you. And I'm going to tell you fear, as with any emotion of that kind, when it begins to drive your life, you're going to be making some decisions that are unhealthy, especially in your relationship with God, but also with with other people in your life. And it's going to run you off the rails if you're not careful. When we looked at what's going on in today's world, we thought to ourselves, right now all of us need this series, Safe Haven. Because on the one hand, we've got plenty to be afraid of if you just look at the news. If you hear about North Korean missiles coming our way, or fires burning down miles and miles of homes, or it's hurricane season. I just, I just got back from the Caribbean. It was a year ago almost that Hurricane Maria leveled Puerto Rico and we went to Puerto Rico on our vacation. We, we went there because we had heard it's a beautiful place. We also went there because we heard 
business is starting to open again and they, need, they just need help. They need help even if you just come there and be a tourist there because it helps businesses get going there. And I'm going to just share with you that we plentifully shared our vacation money around <laughs> with Puerto Rico and yeah, I feel like we're part of the recovery of Puerto Rico now. <laughs> but one, we were at a coffee shop one morning and one guy said, to us, we were just chatting with him, and he said, our entire island has PTSD now. And that even when a small storm is predicted, you better get to the grocery store really quickly, or all the supplies at the grocery store will run out, even in a small storm. Because people are always reflecting back to that trauma that we all collectively experienced a year ago. Maybe you've had a trauma, not a hurricane trauma, but a trauma of that kind. And it has affected you in every way. And maybe you mildly or severely have some PTSD to deal with. And it's physical, it's emotional, it's rational, it's up here stuck in your brain, and it's also spiritual. Maybe it's that, but let me share with you the other reason why we felt this series was so important. I don't know if you realize it, but that lower level of stress and fear is often set not by big events like hurricanes or forest fires roaming through your state or other things. The other day I walked out of the gym after we got back from vacation all of Baseline was closed down off of 24th Street because I go to the LA Fitness over on 24th Street, join me for a workout sometime. And the whole street was closed down. Why? Because there was an officer involved shooting one block down the street. This is the world that we live in. And it, it can be frightening, but, but here's the thing that I'm getting to. Many of the things that we fear have nothing to do with those sort of disastrous things. One, one of the biggest fears that people have is the fear that they're going to let someone important in their life down. Have any of you ever experienced that fear? That you're going to let someone that you love down. That fear also drives us. Have, have you ever had the fear about resources that many of us have? That, that we just, we're not sure if we're going to be able to make the mortgage and the electric bill and, and the water bill and the grocery bill. And so we start to fret and worry and get anxious and there is this stress and there's this fear that begins to drive our lives. Now, that's not a natural disaster. It's not a hurricane. It's not a fire. It's not an earthquake. It's not a murder. It's not a shooting. But let me tell you, those things drive our lives very often. The person who doesn't want to let people they love down, they can often become perfectionists and drive themselves to unrealistic levels because they think they're their own protection and that if they aren't perfect, they are going to let someone down that they love. 
And so this is why, I hope I'm explaining adequately to you why we felt Safe Haven was such an important series and why we're also starting with this truth. This is where we have to start because the spiritual reality, while it's not the soul reality, you, have a, you are a physical being, you're an emotional being, you're a rational being, the spiritual you is the foundation of you. And so we need to explore our relationship with God and understand that if we build that solid spiritual foundation, we have a great place to begin to build our, our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, and our mental well-being as well. So let's dive in. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Famous, famous hymns have been written about Psalm 46. And I, I want you to just, just bask in this as I read it. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day, Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says... Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that psalm. And I, I hope that one of the practical applications of today's message is that you will just find a way <laughs> to mark this psalm in your Bible. If you brought a highlighter today and you want to highlight this entire psalm in your Bible, do that. If you want to take one of those little sticky notes and stick it on the page of your Bible where Psalm 46 is, do that. I can hardly recommend a better set of words for you to feel safe in daily life than Psalm 46. You know that Martin Luther wrote... A mighty fortress is our God from this psalm. And I don't know if you know that hymn. I'm going to give you some words from it in a little while, but it is an amazing, amazing hymn. And if you want to do it that way, find the words to a mighty fortress is our God, and you will essentially be memorizing the thoughts of this psalm. And what the psalmist, it tells us who the psalmists are. This was written by a group of, uh, of people who were part of a single family. 
a clan, really, called the Sons of Korah. You see their names up there. And they have an interesting story, which I'll share with you in just a moment. But here's the thought that they wanted to convey as worship leaders. That we have a God that we can lean on and lean on hard, that we can run to or carry with us because he is with us, and that all we essentially need to do is constantly come and see what the Lord has done, and we will be reassured that our safety is affirmed every day, especially especially our eternal safety. And what this recognizes is that we all need to feel safe. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the concept called Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow was a psychologist who studied people and and came up with this hierarchy of needs that humans experience. And he said, of course, of course, the most foundational needs are your physical needs. If, if you don't have food and water, for example, if disaster strikes, the very first thing you need to do is make sure you have a good supply of food and water. You're going to want to have clothing to protect your physical body. And so he said that that is the foundational need. But he said right after that is the need for safety. And that we can't even begin to explore the higher needs that all humans have, such as the need for love, the need for community, the need to have purpose in life, unless and until we have established that we are in a safe place. This was Maslow's hierarchy. He said, if you're lost in the wilderness, you're going to want to build a shelter, because you need to have a safe go-to place that you can go back to. You're gonna wanna build a fire because you know that when you cook your food over a fire, that heat is going to make it safer to eat. So this is something that we all need. The psalmists, the sons of Korah, recognize this is true. And in fact, because we know that the sons of Korah were inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is God saying to us, Yes, you need to feel safe. So will you write that down? We need to feel safe. That's our first fill in there. That's why it's important to know God is our safe haven. I want to I underline this point that Until you feel safe, you will not live out your higher purposes, because I think that's important. Why is it that when we don't feel safe, we, we feel miserable? Often when you examine it, it's because you can't get to those higher level needs that you have. When you don't feel safe, you are going to be frustrated trying to find love. You are are going to feel like you're hitting a dead end when you're trying to build friendships and community around yourself. If you don't feel safe and you begin to think, I wish my life had a life goal, a purpose, 
you're always going to return to, but I, <laughs> I don't feel safe yet. I don't know how I can live out my purpose when I, like, I'm just not safe. What happens when you don't feel safe is like what happens when a sports team only gets to play defense and never offense. We've got the NFL season coming up. We're all happy about that, right? Imagine they made a rule this year the Cardinals can only play defense. Some of us are thinking that rule has already been made. You're not going to win games that way. If you're hamstrung to always be playing defense because you're worried about your safety, there is no way for you to find love and meaning and purpose in your life. And that is going to make you miserable. Furthermore, furthermore, it's going to mean that you don't get to the point where you think to yourself, my purpose is not me made. My reason for being here is not manufactured by what I think. My purpose and my meaning in life come from God. And if I'm always playing defense and I'm always worried about my safety, I can never get where God wants me to get. I can never help others and love others and change lives for others because I can't get to love. I can't get to meaning and purpose. I can't get to community because I'm too busy protecting myself. And what a horrible, horrible way to live your life. Always playing defense, never offense. And that's why we need to feel safe. And it's why it's important to know God is your safe haven. Now, let's ask some questions I think a lot of us ask. When we hear this truth that comes from Psalm 46, God is our safe haven, it's pretty clear it's in there multiple times. One of the questions that I often hear asked is, what about when I can't seem to find God? What about when I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and, and it, it feels like God is not showing up? I'm still in that miserable place where I just don't feel safe. Can I share a story? I want to I take you back up to the sons of Korah. Because I think there's an interesting reason why it was these guys that wrote this psalm. And maybe you've never heard this story before about the authors of this psalm. If you go far enough back, now, this was probably somewhere between 450 to 700 years, understand that, before this psalm would have been written. There's a report in the book of Numbers about a guy named Korah. And Korah was with Moses as they were making their move from Egypt to the promised land. And he got together with a couple of other guys by the name of Dathan and Abiram. And Korah, Dathan, and Abiram fomented a rebellion against Moses. And they got 250 other guys to join them in this rebellion and try to throw Moses out. Now Moses, he was confident that God had called him. 
Moses felt safe that God was going to protect him. So he said, all right, let's gather all of us together and we'll see what God's going to do about this. Well, what God ended up doing with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram was the ground opened up and literally closed back up over them as they fell in and they were swallowed by the ground. And then next, fire came down from heaven and consumed all those 250 rebels. That's the beginning of the sons of Korah right there. That's your family history. Now, some of you have family history, right? But this would be equivalent to um, John Wilkes Booth, his family today becoming national heroes. Or Benedict Arnold might even be a better example. Someone that we all know was a horrible traitor and one of his descendants became president of the United States. That would be a story, wouldn't it? See, that's what's happening here. Generations go by, and by the time of David, so Moses about 1446 B.C., David's at 1000 B.C., the descendants of Korah, or the sons of Korah, have completely flipped the script and they are now heroes. They fight along David. They're some of the most valiant warriors that David has to the point where David says, it's not just that they're great with a sword and bow, but I see their heart. They are humble people. They are servant-minded. They love their Lord. I, I'm gonna make them worship leaders. I'm gonna make them leaders not only in war, but I'm gonna make them leaders of the church because they have hearts that are great examples for all the people. And that's what, they, that's what happened. And so then from that point, generations of the sons of Korah became worship leaders and 11 out of the 150 Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. Now, if you read Psalm 46, which is one of those 11, can you see their heart? And I can't help but think their hearts were simply bathed in grace. They, that family did not have an auspicious beginning. That, that was not a good start for them. You're the, the patriarch of your family gets punished directly by God by having the ground open up and swallow him. And you might be, if you're listening to fear and fear alone, you might be tempted to go, I, <laughs> I'm not raising my head and I'm certainly not raising my hand to serve God. Who am I? Look at who my father is. And too many of us are doing that, by the way, today. We're bringing our past into today and saying, I don't know that I can ever have a heart for the Lord. I don't, I don't know that if I can ever serve his purpose because look at who I am. I am a miserable, sinful person. Look at who my parents were. Look at who my grandparents were. And, and we're afraid 
because we think there's too much baggage. Well, if anyone ever had baggage, it was the sons of Korah. And here they are saying, you know what? Here's why we, we stick our head up and stick our neck out for God, because we know he is gracious. We know he has forgiven us. We know he has the power to change things. And no matter how bad of a start we got, it's not about the start, it's about the finish. And God's grace and love and forgiveness and the safety that he envelops us with is going to help us finish well. So were there times, I'm sure, when the sons of Korah thought to themselves, God, are you listening? Of course there were times like that because there are times like that for all of us. But when that happened for the sons of Korah, they could be honest about it. This is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is a very straightforward, upfront, and honest book. Take a look at Psalm 10, verse one, at the bottom of page one. Look at what the psalmist writes there. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is being real. This is not being Pollyanna, unreasonably optimistic, which is the rap that Christians sometimes get, isn't it? Like, you, oh, you're a Christian. You, you just ignore it when bad things happen. And, and what I'm gonna tell you is, the sons of Korah, it was not ignorance that caused them to put their hope and their trust for safety in God. When they say, God is my fortress, God, you are with me. That was not ignorance. You know what it was? It was defiance. It was defying Satan and his power. It was defying the world and its power. It was defying their own sinful nation, be, nature because they believed that God loved them, forgave them, and would protect them. Why do we know it's not ignorance? Because look at what it says. Go back up to Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, follow me on the rest of these words. We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It can get bad, the sons of Korah are saying. It can get disastrously bad. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. That, that's not ignorance. That's not Pollyanna, unreasonable optimism. I can't see bad things happening in life. That's saying even when that happens, I've got God on my side and I defy Satan to win the day. Take a look down further. Verse six. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse eight, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He's saying, if you lived in these guys' day, war was like baseball. It happened all the time. Can you imagine living in this violent age and trying to feel safe? One of the theories is that the sons of Korah wrote this during the Assyrian invasion. 
And I don't know if you know much about the Assyrians, but when they won, and especially if you gave them trouble in winning, like they had to besiege your city and you resisted, they would literally skin you alive. That's the kind of violence that people in the sons of Korah, they saw. Those who were defeated, I hope there aren't any little ears. If there are, you might want to cover them at this point. The women were not treated well. I'll, I'll say it mildly like that. When you were under siege, you could be under siege for years to the point where, as the Bible says, sometimes they were tempted to eat their own babies. I'm just being real. I know that's ugly. That's the violent age. Now compare that with the fears that we live, and some of them are like that. But the sons of Korah say, those things are real, but we defy them to beat us down, to cause us to live governed by our fears. We're gonna live with heart and courage because we have God at our side. We're not being Pollyanna. We're not being ignorant, we're being defiant because we have God at our side. Turn the page. <coughs> and that takes faith. And that's why Hebrews says it this way. Outside, things may be going not so pretty. And that's why we have to understand what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Do you hope that God is gracious to you also? Be confident in that. Do you hope for God to forgive you of all of your sins? Well, he promises to do so in Jesus Christ in the cross and the empty tomb. Be confident that he has done so because Christ died for you. Do you have hope that the sins that constantly eat at you and bring you down and feel like that baggage that holds you back, that that shame can go away? Do you have hope that you can maybe put those sins away permanently and live a changed life, a life being the man or the woman that God wants you to be? And you're like, I feel too weak. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm safe to do this. Faith is confidence in what you hope for. Faith is confidence that God has the power to help you get there, to make the changes, to feel the release of the guilt and shame, to know that you don't have to play defense and, and be in fear and let fear drive your life and your decisions, that you can live confidently, courageously, because God is your fortress and your strength. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we do not see. These are promises. I think you know that sometimes these promises don't get fulfilled today. Sometimes you have to wait. I'll give you an example. Jonathan, who was a great leader for our worship, left a while ago. We haven't found his successor yet. We're still waiting. But how are we waiting? I soon will be moving from here to a Midtown location. We're calling a pastor to come and replace me here. 
we've issued several calls. No one has said yes yet, but we wait courageously. We wait in hope. We haven't seen it yet. And, and you have things going on in your life that you're like, God, when am I gonna see this? And you haven't seen it yet. But, but look at what the author to the Hebrews, assurance about what we do not see. What are you waiting for? Wait with assurance because God is on your side. This is what the ancients were commended for. Write this down. I will commit to living in faith, not fear. All right, what about this one? What about when the bottom is dropping out and life is out of control? Can I tell you what you're gonna be tempted to do in that situation? The bottom's dropping out. You feel like... <laughs> my life is spinning out of control, you're gonna be tempted to use coping mechanisms. Now, when I say that word coping mechanisms, many of your minds are gonna to go to chemicals. And by the way, chemicals are coping mechanisms. Drugs and alcohol, all those things. If you're addicted to porn, sex generates chemicals. but not all coping mechanisms are chemical. I mentioned one earlier. Sometimes our coping mechanism is perfectionism. That if, if my fear is letting others down, it, I will let that fear of letting others down drive me to where I won't let myself fail. I will work and work and work to make sure everything is perfect in my life so no one can ever accuse me of letting them down. That's a coping mechanism. It's not a chemical coping mechanism, but it is a coping mechanism. Another one. When you should be saying no to someone, you'll say yes instead because no might let them down. And, and you find yourself doing way too much and your life spins even more out of control because you say yes when you should be saying no. Some of us, if our lives are run by fear, we say no when we have a beautiful and wonderful and exciting opportunity to say yes because we don't trust. So there are all kinds of coping mechanisms. But there is a better way. Take a look with me at Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So write this down on the basis of what you just heard. God wants us to have a life of joy and know that he is near. And that means that we trust that whatever we're experiencing out here in the events of life, how disastrous it is, it's no match for God. Write that down. I will recall that disaster or conflict is no match for God. What do the sons of Korah say? The earth may be falling apart. That's no match for the God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me. That's no match 
for the Savior who put the weight of all the world's sins on his shoulders and died so that we could be released and forgiven of those sins. That's no match from the God who, even when death comes to the door of his son, he conquers death and raises his son back to life again. If God can do that for you and for me, if God can conquer our sins, hurricanes and earthquakes and the earth falling to pieces, politics and war and conflict, none of that is any match for God. And I'll come back to how you can recall that in a moment. Here's the final final question. What about when I'm completely terrified? What's the correct move? Fight, flight, or freeze? You know that you have built into you a certain wiring from God that when frightening things happen, there's a self-protective mechanism so that when you feel that you have the power to overcome what's making you afraid, you fight back. When you don't feel that you have the power to overcome what's making you afraid, you run away, you fly. And when you're not sure what to do, should I fight or should I flee, what do you do? You freeze, which can be also a healthy mechanism that God has built into us at times. We fight, we engage in flight, or we freeze. Now let me tell you something important, and this may be the most important part of the message. You are built with four dimensions. You have a physical dimension, you have an emotional dimension, you have a rational dimension, you have a spiritual dimension. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, emotional, mind, rational, soul, spiritual, and strength, physical. Those are the four dimensions of you. Can I, can I tell you that fight, flight, or freeze is often on the physical level? Like, it's instinctual. You do it before you even think. You don't, you don't get into the reasons or whatever. It, have you, it's just you do what you do. It's a physical reaction. If you want to get better at dealing with your fears, you get training. This is what they do in the military and the police. And, and that gets, allows you through training to get off of reacting all the time to frightening things just physically. And so you, you go up a certain level where now at least you can sort of tap into your emotions a little bit and say to yourself, you know, what, what emotion am I sensing here that's causing me to have these feelings? But let me tell you this, that's not where you want to end. Because if you make a practice of making decisions in life emotionally, it's usually not going to lead to a good place. We need to get beyond that. And for most people, the highest level of decision-making is rational. Let's reason this out. Let's be logical about this. And if there's something frightening, let's ask ourselves, why is it frightening us? And let's work our way through the mental steps to decide what we should do about it. Fight, flight, or freeze. But I'm gonna tell you that's not the highest level yet, is it? I'm gonna flip the spiritual from the foundation to the highest level. 
And where God wants you to be is to make your decisions in life and to fulfill your purpose in life and to know God's love for you from your spirit, from your soul. And to get there, you have to do what the psalmists say. Turn back to page, page one. And I want you to look at verse eight. And I want you to underline these words. Come and see what the Lord has done. If you want to move your decision-making and your life from living in fear, you have to go to come and see what the Lord has done. You have to get there. And the way that works is you have to find ways to feed yourself from here. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what the result of that will be if you do that, if you start to get there. You're going to think the way the sons of Korah were. And there are those verses that we've read already. I won't reread them now, but you'll know that God is your refuge and your strength. You'll know that he's an ever-present help in trouble. And then this is going to happen. When you fight, you will fight with God at your side. When you flee, you will flee to God in prayer. When you freeze, you will do exactly what the psalmist says. You will be still and know that God is God and that he is with you. When you begin to come and see what God has done, this is what's gonna come out of it. If you wanna have a vision, if you wanna, if I would say, imagine. Imagine a life that is built around this thought that God is my safe haven. This is, this is what you can imagine. This, this is the ideal, that when I fight, I fight with God at my side. This is the dream right here, that when I flee, I will flee to God in prayer. Just as it says in Philippians, that's exactly what it says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be afraid. Find the joy of the Lord. Live in his amazing peace. And when you freeze, you will be still knowing God is God and God is with you. All right, let me wrap it up this way. Practically speaking, how can you come and see? Because that's what's going to build toward this vision. I want you to think about a couple practical steps this week. Number one, come back next week for the next message in Safe Haven. That'd be a great way to come and see what the Lord is doing for you. Number two, let me ask you this question. Do you have a preset on your car radio for Christian music? Do you have a preset? Now, I have a preset for sports radio. But I also have a preset for Christian music. I'm asking you, that's a beautiful way. Will you consider that? Because that's a beautiful way to come and see what the Lord has done. Listen to someone sing to you what the Lord has done, which we're going to do in just a moment. Let me ask you another question. Have you downloaded yet the Bible app on your phone? And if you haven't yet downloaded the Bible app on your phone, why not? You will have your Bible with you every moment of every day because you have your phone with you every moment of every day. I know you. Download the Bible app and then read it and come and see what the Lord has done.
I mentioned, here's the last one. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we're about to kick off another growth group semester. Will you pray about in the next weeks? Because it'll start after Labor Day. We got all of August to pray about this, think about this. Will you pray about joining a group of people who join in a home to come and see what the Lord is doing? Because if you do that, when you fight, you will fight with God. When you flee, you will flee to God in prayer. And when you freeze, you will tell yourself, I can be still and know that God is God and he is with me. It just comes from that one application verse in Psalm 46 that says, come and see what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. Truly, you are our fortress. You are our keeper. You are the one that makes us safe all the time. And Lord, we pray that that your word will live in us, that your son, our savior, will be at the very forefront of our hearts at all times so that we can know the safety that you have created for us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we're not unrealistic. We know that bad things happen and bad things happen to Christ followers too. But you can carry us through those bad things for your eternal purpose to be with you in heaven forever. We're confident of that. And so even though we may not be seeing great things right now in our life, we live by faith, not by sight. And we know of your great love for us. And with the sons of Korah, we say the God of Jacob is our fortress too. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Martin Luther wrote this when he, when he wrote A Mighty Fortress. And take they our goods, fame, child, or wife. They still have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. What a beautiful thought, a defiant thought, that no matter what the world or our own mistakes take from us, God is still with us and he still loves and forgives us. Look, the sons of Korah, they had a horrible, a shameful start. And it took generations, but once they experienced God's grace, it gave them great courage. Don't let it take generations for you. Experience and know the grace of God for you. Come and see what he has done for you. And in his grace and forgiveness to you, stick your head up and live in him with courage and strength, not in fear. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace, amen.